The Copper Beaches by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, dramatised by Grant Eustace, with Roy Marsden as Sherlock Holmes and John Moffat as Dr. Watson. It was a cold morning in early spring, and Sherlock Holmes and I sat after breakfast on either side of a cheery fire in our sitting room in Baker Street. A thick yellow fog rolled between the lines of houses, and the opposing windows loomed like dark, shapeless blurs through it. Holmes had been silent all the morning, dipping continuously into a succession of papers, until at last he emerged in a very resigned frame of mind. Man, or at least criminal man, has lost all enterprise and originality, you know, Watson. The days of the great cases are past and my own little practice seems to be degenerating into an agency for recovering lost lead pencils. This note I had this morning marks my zero point, I fancy. Just read it. Dear Mr. Holmes, I am very anxious to consult you as to whether I should or should not accept the situation which has been offered to me as governess. I shall call at half past ten tomorrow if I do not inconvenience you. Yours faithfully, Violet Hunter. Oh, do you, do you know the young lady? Not I. Well, this may turn out to be of more interest than you think. Well, let's hope so. It's half past ten now. Yes, and here, unless I am much mistaken, is the person in question. The young lady who entered the room was plainly but neatly dressed, with a bright, quick face, and the brisk manner of a woman who has had her own way to make in the world. You will excuse my troubling you, I hope, but... I have had a very strange experience, and as I have no parents or relations of any sort from whom I could ask advice, I, I thought that perhaps you would be kind enough to tell me what I should do. Uh, pray take a seat, Miss Hunter. What, uh, what's up? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, I shall be happy to do anything that I can to serve you. Well, I have been a governess for five years, but two months ago the family I had been with moved abroad, and I found myself without a situation. Since then, the little money which I had saved has begun to run short. And I have been at my wit's end as to what I should do. Well, surely there are agencies for governesses? There are. And I have called about once a week at a well-known one, Westaways, to see whether anything has turned up which might suit me. When I called in last week, I was shown in as usual to the lady who manages the office, Miss Stoper. But I found she was not alone. As I came in, the gentleman with her gave quite a jump in his chair and turned quickly to Miss Stoper. That will do. I could not ask for anything better. <laughs> capital, capital. You, you are looking for a situation, Miss... Yes, sir. As governess? Yes, sir. And uh, what salary do you ask? I had four pounds a month in my last place. Oh. Sweating, rank sweating. <laughs> How could anyone offer so pitiful a sum to a lady with such attractions and accomplishments? My accomplishments, sir, uh, may be less than you imagine. Uh, a little French, a little German, music and drawing. It is all quite beside the question. The point is, have you or have you not the bearing and deportment of a lady? If you have, your salary with me, madam, would commence at a hundred pounds a year. That is an unusually high sum. Indeed it is, Mr. Holmes. And you may imagine that to me, destitute as I was, such an offer seemed almost too good to be true. 
The gentleman, however, opened a pocketbook and took out a note. It is also my custom to advance to my young ladies half their salary beforehand, so that they may meet any little expense of their journey in their wardrobe. It seemed to me that I had never met so thoughtful a man. Yet there was something unnatural about the whole transaction, which made me wish to know more before I committed myself. So I asked where he lived. The copper beaches, five miles on the far side of Winchester. It's the most lovely country, my dear young lady, and the dearest old country house. And my duty, sir? One child, <laughs> one dear little romper, just six years old. <laughs> oh, you should see him killing cockroaches with a slipper. Uh, and and my sole duties are to take charge of a single child? Oh, no. No, not the soul. <laughs> not the soul, my dear young lady. <laughs> Your duty would be to obey any little commands which my wife might give, provided always that they were such as a lady might with propriety obey. <laughs> you see no difficulty here. I should be happy to make myself useful. Of course, of course. In dress now, for example, if you were asked to wear any dress which we might give you, you would not object to our little whim. No. Or to sit here or sit there. That would not be uh, offensive to you? Not at all. Or to cut your hair quite short before you come to us. Hmm? The request must have been as much of a shock to Miss Hunter as it was to Holmes and me for her hair was somewhat luxuriant and of a rather unusual tint of chestnut. The first adjective that sprung to my mind to describe it was artistic. It seemed most unlikely that she should consider sacrificing it in such an offhand fashion, and so it proved. I'm afraid that it is quite impossible. And I'm afraid that it is quite essential. <laughs> it's just a little fancy of my wife's, but uh, ladies' fancies, you know, must be consulted. And so, won't you cut your hair? No, sir. I really could not. Then that quite settles the matter. It's a pity, because in other respects you would really have done quite nicely. In that case, Miss Toper, I'd best inspect a few more of your young ladies. Miss Hunter paused for a moment. But neither of us said anything, because her story was clearly not yet complete. Well, Mr. Holmes, when I got back to my lodgings, I began to ask myself whether I had not done a very foolish thing. Very few governesses in England are getting a hundred a year. Besides, what use was my hair to me? I had almost overcome my pride so far as to inquire from the agency whether the place was still open, when I received this letter from the gentleman himself. Watson, would you be so good as to read it? Uh, of course. Dear Miss Hunter, Dear Miss I write Hunter, to ask you... I write you... to ask you whether you have reconsidered your decision. Uh, my wife and I are willing to give uh, £120 a year so as to recompense you for any little inconvenience which our fans may cause you. My wife is fond of a particular shade of blue and would like you to wear such a dress indoors in the morning. You need not, however, go to the expense of purchasing one, as we have one belonging to my dear daughter Alice, now in Philadelphia, which would, I think, fit you very well. As regards your hair, I am afraid I must remain firm upon this point. 
And I only hope that the increased salary may recompense you for the loss. Uh, now, do try to come, and I shall meet you with the dog cart at Winchester. Uh, let me know your train. Uh, yours faithfully, Yours faithfully, Jeffro Rucastle. And what do you intend? My mind is made up that I will accept it. But I thought, before taking the final step, I should like to submit the whole matter to your consideration. Well, Miss Hunter, if your mind is made up... That settles the question. But you would not advise me to refuse. I confess it is not a situation which I should like to see a sister of mine apply for. But what is the meaning of it all? I have no data. I cannot tell. Uh, perhaps you have yourself formed some opinion? Well, there seems to me to be only one possible solution. Mr. Rucastle's wife is a lunatic. Ah, and since he desires to keep the matter quiet for fear she should be taken to an asylum, he humours her fancies in every way to prevent an outbreak. That is a possible solution. Uh, but if so, it does not seem to be a nice household for a young lady. <laughs> but the money, Mr. Holmes, the money. Oh, yes, of course, the pay is good. Too good. That is what makes me uneasy. I thought, if I told you the circumstances... You would understand afterwards, if I wanted your help. I should feel so much stronger if I felt that you were at the back of me. You may certainly carry that feeling away with you. If you should find yourself in doubt or in danger... Danger? What danger do you foresee? It would cease to be a danger if we could define it. But at any time, day or night, a telegram would bring me down to your help. That is enough. I shall write to Mr. Rucastle at once, sacrifice my poor hair tonight, and start for Winchester tomorrow. Thank you. I shall go down to Hampshire quite easy in my mind now. Well, at least she seems to be a young lady who is very well able to take care of herself. And she would need to be. I am much mistaken if we do not hear from her before many days have passed. A fortnight went by. I frequently found my thoughts turning in Miss Hunter's direction and wondering what strange side-alley of human experience this lonely woman had strayed into. Then, late one night, we received a telegram. Please be at the Black Swan Hotel, at Winchester, at midday tomorrow. Do come. I am at my wit's end. Will you come with me? Oh, I should wish to. Then have a look in Bradshaw, would you? Uh, yes. Just a moment. Um... Ah, there's a train at half past nine. Very pleasant, those little farmsteads in among the trees. Do you know, Watson, it's one of the curses of a mind like mine that I must look at everything with reference to my own special subject. Hmm? But you look at these scattered houses and are impressed by their beauty. I look at them, and the only thought which comes to me is a feeling of their isolation and of the impunity with which crime may be committed there. Good heavens, now why do you associate crime with such attractive places? The reason is obvious. The pressure of public opinion can do in the town what the law cannot accomplish. There is no lane so vile that the scream of a tortured child or the thud of a drunkard's blow does not beget sympathy and indignation amongst the neighbours. Hmm. Yes, I see what you mean. And the whole machinery of justice is so close uh, that a word of complaint can set it going. Precisely. But look at these lonely houses and think of the deeds which may go on in such places and none the wiser. Yes, so had this lady gone to live in Winchester, you would not have feared for her safety? Not at all. 
It is the five miles of country that makes the danger. Yeah, still, she does not seem to be personally threatened if she can come to meet us in Winchester. Quite so. She has her freedom. Well, what can be the matter, then? I have devised seven separate explanations. Oh. Each of which could cover the facts as we know them. But which is correct can only be determined by the fresh information that awaits us at the Black Swan. I am so delighted that you have come. Your advice will be invaluable. Pray tell what has happened to you. I will do so. And I must be quick, for I have promised Mr. Rucastle to be back before three. I got his leave to come into town this morning, though he little knew for what purpose. Let us have everything in its due order. I may say first that I have met, on the whole, with no actual ill-treatment from Mr. and Mrs. Rucastle, but I cannot understand their conduct, and I am not easy in my mind about them. As Violet Hunter told us more about the Copper Beaches, I began to share her unease. It was, by her account, an unsettling household. Contrary to our first conjecture at Baker Street, Mrs. Rucastle was not mad. But she was her husband's second wife, and much younger than him, apparently devoted to her husband and child, but yet nursing some secret sorrow. The child alone was sufficiently disturbing. I have never met so utterly spoilt and so ill-natured a little creature. Giving pain to any creature weaker than himself seems to be his one idea of amusement. And he shows quite remarkable talent in planning the capture of mice, little birds and insects. But I would rather not talk about the creature, Mr. Holmes, and indeed he has little to do with my story. I'm glad of all details, whether they seem to you to be relevant or not. I shall try not to miss anything of importance. Miss Hunter went on to tell us that the household at the Copper Beaches was not much improved by the only two servants. Toller was rough and uncouth and seemed to spend much of his time drunk, and his wife was a tall, strong woman with a sour face, as silent as Mrs. Rucastle, and much less amiable. On the third day, Miss Hunter was asked to put on the particular blue dress that had been referred to previously. It bore unmistakable signs of having been worn before, but it could not have been a better fit if I had been measured for it. Both Mr. and Mrs. Rucastle expressed a delight at the look of it. Miss Hunter's narrative then took a new bizarre turn. Once in the drawing-room, wearing the dress, she was asked to sit in a chair that had been placed close to the central window with its back turned towards it. Then Mr. Rucastle walked up and down, telling a series of funny stories. I laughed until I was quite weary, but Mrs. Rucastle evidently has no sense of humour. What makes you say that? Well, she sat throughout with her hands in her lap, and never so much as smiled, but had just a... A sad, anxious look upon her face. Indeed. What happened next? Well, after an hour or so, Mr. Rucastle suddenly remarked that it was time to commence the duties of the day, and that I might therefore go and change my dress. Was this an isolated incident? No. Two days later, this same performance was gone through under exactly similar circumstances. You can easily imagine, Mr. Holmes, how curious I became as to what the meaning of this could possibly be. They were always very careful to turn my face away from the window, so that I became consumed with the desire to see what was going on behind my back. Violet Hunter had seemed a resourceful young lady from the first moment of our acquaintance, 
so it was entirely true to her character that she had soon devised a means to help her. A small piece of a broken hand mirror concealed in her handkerchief. On the third occasion, in the midst of my laughter, I put my handkerchief up to my eyes and using the mirror perceived a small bearded man in a grey suit standing in the Southampton Road and looking in my direction. But Mrs. Rucastle saw my movement and immediately stood up and drew her husband's attention to the man. No friend of yours, Miss Hunter? No. I know no one in these parts. Dear me, how very impertinent. You kindly turn round and motion him to go away. But surely it would be better to take no notice. Uh, no, no, we should have him loitering here always. Kindly turn round and motion him to go away. Your narrative is a most interesting one. Has this sequence of events reoccurred? No. Since that time, I have not sat again in the window, nor have I worn the blue dress, nor seen the man in the road. But that was by no means the end of Miss Hunter's singular experiences at the Copper Beaches. On the very first day that I was there, Mr. Rucastle took me to a small outhouse. Look in here. Is he not a beauty? Oh. No, 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 don't be frightened. It's only Carlo, my mastiff. <laughs> well, I call him mine, but really old Tull is the only man who can do anything with him. He's let loose every night, and uh, God help the trespasser whom he lays his fangs on. Uh, for goodness sake, don't you on any pretext set your foot over the threshold at night, for it is as much as your life is worth. It was no idle warning, as Miss Hunter discovered a few nights later when she chanced to look out of her bedroom window. There was the dog, as large as a calf, with hanging jowl, black muzzle, and huge projecting bones. It sent a chill to her heart to think that such a sentinel was patrolling the grounds. And still she had more with which to surprise us. When I was unpacking my linen, I was naturally annoyed to find the bottom drawer of the chest of drawers in my room locked. But I discovered that one of my keys would open it. And was there anything inside? Yes, Mr. Holmes. My coil of hair. The hair you would cut off as a condition of your employment? Yes. At least, so it seemed. It was the same tint and the same thickness, yet I knew it to be impossible. I had placed the hair I had cut off in London in a great coil at the bottom of my trunk. And was it still there? Yes, I had two identical tresses of hair. Extraordinary. What did you do after this discovery? I returned the strange hair to the drawer and said nothing of the matter to the Rucastles. A sound precaution. Yet there is something else which disturbs you, Miss Hunter. More, I think, than anything. Tell us of it. There was one wing of the house which appeared not to be inhabited at all. A door which faced that which led into the quarters of the Tollers opened into this suite but was invariably locked. One day, however, I met Mr. Rucastle coming out through this door, his keys in his hand and an angry look on his face, which made him a very different person to the round, jovial man to whom I was accustomed. He locked the door and hurried past me without a word or a look. Did he at any time offer an explanation for his behaviour? Later that day, when I was walking with my charge in the grounds. You must not think me rude if I passed you without a word, my dear young lady. No. I, I was preoccupied with business matters. I assured him that I was not offended, but added that I could see from the outside that one of the rooms in the unoccupied wing had the shutters up. 
photography is one of my hobbies. I've made my dark room up there. Uh, but dear me, what an observant young lady we've come upon. Who would have believed it? Who would ever have believed it? And what was his manner when he said that? He spoke in a jesting tone, but in his eyes I read suspicion and annoyance, but no jest. Go on. As was to be expected of someone of Miss Hunter's strength of character, from the moment she understood there was something in those rooms that she was not to know, she was all on fire to go over them. And only the day before, the chance had come. Toller had been too drunk to remember to remove the key from the access door after a visit of his to the rooms. The family was downstairs, so she took her opportunity and went in. There was a passage in front of me, with three doors leading off it. Two of them were open and led to empty rooms, but the third was closed and barred and padlocked. It corresponded with the shuttered room you had seen from outside? Yes, it did. But I could see by the glimmer from beneath the door that the room was not in darkness. Evidently, there was a skylight which let in light from above. Then, as I stood wondering what secret lay beyond the door, I heard steps within the room. And I saw a shadow pass backwards and forwards against the little slit of light that shone out from under the door. Terror rose up in me at the sight, and I turned and ran back down the passage and through the door and straight into the arms of Mr. Rucastle. So, so it was you then. I thought it must be when I saw the door open. Oh, oh, I'm so frightened. And what has frightened you, my dear young lady? I was foolish enough to go into the empty wing. And it is so dreadfully lonely and eerie in there. Only that? Of course. Why do you think I lock this door? I am sure that I do not know. It is to keep people out who have no business there. I am sure that if I had known, I... Well, you know now. (laughs) And if ever you put your foot over that threshold again, I'll throw you to the mastiff. Now I have told you all my adventures, Mr. Holmes, and I should be very glad if you could tell me what it all means, and above all, what I should do. Holmes and I had listened spellbound to this extraordinary story. My friend now rose and paced up and down the room, his hands in his pockets, and an expression of the most profound gravity on his face. Is Toller still drunk? Yes. I heard his wife tell Mrs. Rucastle that she could do nothing with him. That is well. What of the Rucastles? They are due to go out tonight. Is there a cellar with a good strong lock? Yes, the wine cellar. Good. You seem to me to have acted all through this matter like a brave and sensible girl, Miss Hunter. Do you think you could perform one more feat? I will try. What is it? Watson and I shall be at the Copper Beaches at seven, by which time the Rucastles will be gone. With Toller incapable, that leaves only his wife. If you could find a way to turn the key upon her in the cellar, you would facilitate matters immensely. I will do it. Excellent. Do you know what it all means, then, Holmes? Oh, well, there's only one feasible explanation. Miss Hunter has been brought there to personate someone. The real person is imprisoned in the chamber, and I have no doubt she is Miss Alice Rucastle, said to be in America. You, Miss Hunter, must closely resemble her, but her hair has been cut off. Very possibly in some illness, so yours had to go too. Yes, but who is the man Miss Hunter saw? Undoubtedly some friend of the daughter. 
By dressing you up as her and making you to all appearances happy, he was to be convinced that Miss Rucastle no longer desired his attentions. The dog is let loose at night to prevent him from communicating with her. Mr. Holmes, we must not lose an instant in bringing help to this poor creature. We must be circumspect, for we are dealing with a very cunning man. We can do nothing until seven. At that hour, we shall be with you. We were as good as our word, and Miss Hunter as good as hers, for a loud thudding noise came from where she had locked up Mrs. Toller. The three of us made our way to the passage with the barred door. But no sound came from inside. I trust we're not too late. Now, Watson, put your shoulder to this door with me. It gave at once before our united strength. But we found the room empty and the skylight open. Rucastle has guessed Miss Hunter's intention and come back and carried his victim off through the skylight. What is this? You see, I told you, Mrs. Toller. Yes, sir. Your being locked in the cellar was all part of a plot. You villain, where's your daughter? It is for me to ask you that. Spies and thieves, I've caught you right at the seat of your crime. I'll serve you. Just mark my words. Oh, Miss Hunter, if only you'd let me know what you were planning, I could have told you your pains were wasted. Why? What do you know about this? was Miss Alice's only friend in this house when her father remarried. So it's only right that I was the one to help her escape with a young man. A second marriage often creates problems for the child of the first, but not to warrant her being locked up. That was the money. Ah, she had rights of her own, did she? I believe so. And the husband would have removed Mr. Rucastle's access to that money. He worried her to sign a paper so that whether she married or not, he could use it. Huh. Worried her so much that she got brain fever and was for six weeks at death's door. Was that when her hair was cut off? Yes, that's right. So Mr. Rucastle devised this system of imprisonment and brought Miss Hunter down from London in order to get rid of the disagreeable persistence of Alice's young man. And I'm glad it's done him no good. He'll never find Miss Alice now. Not news to which you will take very kindly. I have my revolver. We may well need it. It's him who'll need it. What? It's not been fed for two days. Downstairs, quickly. Holmes and I rushed outside to be met by an appalling sight. The huge mastiff with his teeth buried in Rucastle's throat. I blew the brute's brains out, and it was the saving of Rucastle that I did so. A few seconds more, and he would not have survived for even the broken existence that was to be his lot thereafter. Thus was resolved the mystery of the sinister house known as the Copper Beaches. As for the plucky Miss Hunter, Holmes manifested no further interest in her once she had ceased to be the centre of one of his problems. Or so I thought. But many months later, I found on the sitting room table an advertisement that Holmes had cut from a newspaper. It was for a private school in the Midlands. And the name of the headmistress was Violet Hunter. She certainly was a quite exceptional young woman. Don't you agree, Watson? In The Copper Beaches by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Roy Marsden played Sherlock Holmes, John Moffat, Dr. Watson, Roger Hammond, Jethro Rucastle, 
Felicity Hayes McCoy, Violet Hunter, and Heather Bell, Mrs. Toller. The Copper Beaches was dramatised by Brant Eustace and directed by Michael Bartlett for Daedalus Productions.